Well, good evening, Mosaic. Hey, it is a wonderful evening to worship our Lord, is it not? Amen, amen. Well, hey, would you stand and let's worship him together. Sing, who breaks the power? Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless? In awe and wonder, the King of glory, the King above all kings. Sing this out. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross.
have a seat? Hey. Hi, y'all. It's Street Fest this week. Wow! It's Street Fest this week. So it's uh, also a lot hotter in these than I remember. So uh, we might have to make this quick. Uh, my name is Matt. Obviously, I work with kids here if uh, the outfit didn't give it away. Uh, but if you are brand new here, you never met us, we'd love to get to know you. would love to know that you're here. Easy way to do that, shoot a message to the text on the screen or uh, visit us out in the foyer at the info booth. And the folks there know what's going on and can answer any questions you have. So, um, so Street Fest is this week. It's Wednesday night from 6 to 8. It'll be uh, right out by the Student Center in between the Student Center and Children's Center. And it's a big carnival. It's just games and candy and fun, hanging out. Uh, pizza's available for a buck a slice. And if you're not a costume person or you are older than uh, family, young family age, and you're like, this is probably not one of those things for me, just come wander through and say hey and let yourself be seen and laugh or maybe sneak a piece of candy or whatever you need to do. But just come and be a part of the bigger mosaic thing. I know it's definitely like the, the, the babies up through like maybe first or second graders that love it. But all the rest of us, we can smile at little kids in cute costumes and have a good time to spend time with each other. So show up. I encourage all of y'all to be there. That's the first one. Um, the second one is this. Oh, I, before I move on from that, uh, we are doing a canned food drive for Samaritan as well as part of that. So uh, people are bringing cans and donating those. So that's a, a great way to support a partner organization. Uh, next, uh, there's a video here from the worship ministry. So, so watch this real quick. Students serving in worship ministry is a beautiful expression of fellowship's mission to produce and release spiritual leaders. We value the opportunity to help students grow in their God-given gifts and to use them to serve the church. Each year, we host a worship training for 6th through 12th grade students. This workshop-style training gives students of all skill levels an opportunity to get involved in worship ministry. If you are a student who sings or plays an instrument, we hope that you will join us for this fun and interactive student worship training. One of the coolest things our church does is uh, give kids the opportunity to use the gifts and skill sets God's given them to bless their peers. They lead up in the kids' ministry for first through fifth graders. They lead in students. They lead in here. I know y'all have been blessed by their leadership. So uh, if, if you've got a student that's interested and has never done it or has done it before and would like to keep, uh, you know, refreshing skills and things, uh, it's on Saturday the 29th. It's here on campus from 1 to 3.30. And you'll need to go to the website, the Mosaic News page, and sign up uh, just so that they know how many people are coming and they can adequately prepare to have the right amount of instruments and things on hand. So uh, that's that. And then finally, uh, there's a high school winter retreat coming up. And so the high school students probably already know about it. They've already been talking about it, but the, the signups just went live yesterday. And so uh, that's the 19th and 20th. They'll be out in Colkerd, uh, Oklahoma at uh, New Life Ranch. And it's just a good time uh, to get away with peers, love the Lord, love one another. And so uh, if you've got a student that wants to go, please get them signed up ASAP so we, we uh, can add adequately prepare again. So y'all, it's good to be here with you tonight. Would you go ahead and stand up and we will uh, we'll continue in worship together. And thanks, Matt. Hey, I didn't know he was going to come out in this costume for the, for the record. And so I'm, I'm just as surprised as you all right now. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Kyle Jackson. I'm the worship team leader here. And it's an honor to be worshiping with you tonight. 
What a gift it is to be gathered in the same space singing praises to God, amen? We get to celebrate the Lord together as the family, as the people of God. And this is a song that we get to sing quite a bit throughout the last years. Um, that some of the words might have actually become kind of rote where we don't actually think about what we're singing. Um, so I'm gonna challenge you in this space tonight. Let these songs be a prayer to God. Let these songs be the, the song of your heart singing to him. And would you just recognize now that, he, that we get to ha- give him our attention? So would you give your attention to God tonight as we sing praises to him? So Kristen's gonna lead us, would you?
quite a few times. I kind of just want to like break the fourth wall moment of the stage situation for a second and just be honest that I tend to focus more on the I part of this, this statement that I will build my life and I will put my trust. But really, it's not about me. It's not about my will to build, but it's about the firm foundation of the love of God and that he alone is the one that I can trust. So as we sing this as the church, as a family, as children of God, would you sing with me in that heart for to God about his truth and who he is um, and less about ourselves? Will you sing this with me? And I church to give an offering to God. And this is something, if you're new here, that we have done every single week uh, since the beginning of last year, this past year. And the, here's the goal, is to create something new inside of us. This is a liturgy that we've been practicing consistently so that when we don't feel like it, when we don't think we want to do it, we have this pattern written into the way that we worship to where we can prepare our hearts to give freely before God. So church, would you read this aloud with me as we prepare our hearts tonight? Oh, Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them 
to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiply the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give can match your great gift to us, your Son and your Spirit.
How's it going, Mosaic? Uh, my name is Daniel Toomer. Uh, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I get the pleasure of serving and leading um, with a community group in downtown Bentonville. Um, Lord, would you please open our hearts and minds for the reading of your word? For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that the, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, the grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Family, you can take a seat. Hi, my name is Colin. I'm a grateful follower of Jesus Christ who struggles with anxiety, depression, and pride lately. It's good to see you. Hey, there's a few things that can happen in a church service like this. One is uh, we get together on Mondays and we plan everything and, and we're very prayerful when we think through it. And another is we kind of just go off the cuff and kind of text on Thursday and are like, hey, would you mind reading this scripture? And he's like, yeah, totally, I'll read this scripture. And then it ends up being the wrong scripture. That's what just happened. Sorry, Daniel. 
We're actually in Ephesians 4 tonight, and I take full responsibility for us being in Ephesians 3 for that reading, but that's okay, because it's still Ephesians in God's word, right? Amen? Hey, if you're sitting alone, don't. Get up, move, get close to people. If you haven't said hi to the people around you or next to you, go now. Say hi. Come on. This is a body, and we got to say hello to each other. So go ahead. Just take a moment and greet one another, and if you're, if you're flying solo, go grab a friend. And uh, we've been in the book of Ephesians together, and tonight we'll be in Ephesians chapter four. So if you got your Bible, go ahead, Ephesians chapter four, have it in front of you, a device is fine too. Or if you're using your Ephesians book, anybody got an Ephesians booklet? Where are we at? Oh, whoa, whoa. Uh, page 67, would love for you to take notes and teach it to someone else. Um, last week, we were graced with Dr. Gary Oliver. Were you here? Did you get to hear the message from Dr. Gary? Oh my goodness. Go back and listen if you missed it because it was just, we said it was, it was a clinic of how we hope our experience of God's word in this room goes together. And I love this graphic that, that Gary threw up of just a, a brief summary of the entire letter of Ephesians on one slide. First is that you're gonna have uh, our heavenly calling of the church. That is our identity, our position. So in Ephesians Chapter one through three, Paul really focuses in on that identity, these spiritual blessings, us being seated in the heavenly realms, a lot of our identity in Christ, he writes for the church in Ephesus. And now, tonight, as we dive into four, it's almost this hinge point. Like, I don't know about you, I just really appreciate a good door, like a beautiful door on a house where you just see all this artistic beauty and display. One of my best friends and former worship leaders here, Ryan Shola, he actually builds doors and I love going into his wood shop and just seeing a master at work. But if you just look at the door, it's not enough. Doors are made to do what? Okay, hang on. Doors are made to do what? Go through, open, and so here, Paul has shown us this beautiful doorway that God has created for us in Christ. And now, verse chapters four through six, he, the hinges open and it gives us this whole new way that we are to live as followers of Jesus. And, and brief summary of where we're going tonight in chapter four. Um, Paul is writing to the community in Ephesus, this community of believers, and he has two things he's gonna start with tonight. Their unity in Christ and their maturity in Christ. And he's writing to a church that is existing in, in the Roman individualism. So there's this Latin term, the Romans would use virtus, that is virtue, that is you pick yourself up by your bootstraps and get out there and make yourself known, even to the point where in their mythologies that most of the, the pagan gods they worshiped actually started out because they were just able to keep going, keep going, keep going, the individual, as well as division. Now you have, absolutely, you have different ethnicities and cultures and religions taking place in the city of Ephesus. But you also have, in the Roman culture, you have at least five levels of socioeconomic status. Two of them, one being uh, up top would be the, uh, the partitions and below them, the, the Palabians all the way to slaves. And you don't really interact with those outside of your social status in Rome. And so you have this, this individualistic, divided culture, and Paul, because of everything he has said in verses one, or chapters one through three of how God has saved us, this new identity in Christ, and even as Gary walked us through last week, this new humanity God is creating to put on the manifold wisdom of God 
I mean, talk about a purpose and calling in this life. That Paul says the church is putting on the manifold wisdom of God in the heavenly realms. And that's your identity. And now he begins to shift of how this, this unity, the spirit has created, how we must walk in it. And so three things in the text tonight, if you're taking notes, I hope you will just kind of bracket these on the side as we go through it. One, Paul's gonna talk about our unity in our walk. That is our day-to-day life. How we as followers of Jesus have this oneness because of the spirit, and this is how we're gonna live. Next is in our ministry. And I can't wait to get to that section because Paul has some good things for you to hear tonight. And lastly, He's gonna start, and then Nick Rowland will pick us up next week of unity and our growth, our maturity as we become more like Jesus. Without further ado, let's go. Ephesians 3, verse one, Paul says, I as a prisoner for the Lord. Question, where is Paul when he's writing this letter? Prison. Some actually believe that Paul is in prison because he took a Gentile when he was discipling into a Jewish synagogue, and that was what broke the camel's back for these Judaizers of getting him finally arrested. So Paul is writing, this is one of his seven letters that he's writing from prison, and he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have, what? Received. Chapters one through three, if if you missed it, go back and read it. These incredible identity statements, this calling that God has placed upon his church, followers of Jesus, it is not something earned or achieved, it is received. There is no identity in this world other than one in Christ that is received. And there's this tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. We've already talked a little bit in chapter two about this, where you have these Jews and these Gentiles that usually they don't rub shoulders and now they're in the living room in Ephesus together and they're doing life together and they're becoming one and and there begins to become some tensions for them. And so Paul begins to write about this unity of the spirit and all the commands he's been waiting for. Usually Paul writes and it's command, command, command. He's had three chapters of just just showering the Ephesus church with this is who you are and what God has done. And now he gets to some commands. One, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love and make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through truth. Uh, Sorry, through the bond of peace. And so God uh, is is taking these Jews and these Gentiles, creating one new humanity, and this is how he expects the character of this new humanity to look. Question, in most of your relationships, do you want to hang out and be one with a person who is arrogant, harsh, impatient, and quick to anger? Does that sound like a person you wanna hit your wagon to? And you're like, I'm sitting right next to him now. I came to church with him. Pray for us. But we all know this. And Paul, as we'll see next week, he calls this the old self. This is how we used to be, not anymore. As a follower of Jesus, who's been made one in the spirit with the church, you are to be humble, considering others greater than yourself. You are to be gentle, just like our Savior was. He was meek, strong, but under control. Patient, please, uh, Jesus, forgive me for the impatience on the traffic today, and bearing with one another in love, taking each other's burdens out of a love for one another, that this is the unity 
that God expects us to walk in. And then he says this in, in verse four, make every effort to keep the unity of the what? Spirit. Question, is this unity in the church something we can create? No. We, we can create unity around football teams, Woo pig. Yeah, we can do that. Uh, we can create unity around types of food and restaurants and cultural things we like, yes. This unity of one new humanity taking sinners and making them saints and bringing them together as one with the triune God, that is not a unity you and I can achieve. That is not a oneness that you and I can manufacture or create. This is something the Spirit of God does as he indwells the saints and brings us into this harmonious union, not only with the triune God as if that wasn't enough, but with one another in right relationship. And Paul says, keep, maintain, preserve that unity. See, for Paul, the greatest threat to the church, it's, it's not outside of it. It's actually from within. For Paul, the greatest threat of the church is division. The greatest threat to fellowship mosaic is me. And it's you, that we could take this unity that the Spirit has brought and we would begin to sever it or separate it. And this is not a, a new idea for Paul, even to the next slide. Natesel's already talked a little bit about this back in chapter two, the guy who was in the dragon costume. Yes, we let him teach too. He hasn't taught in the dragon yet, but I wouldn't put it past him. Um, Natesel talked about that idea that Paul talks about the dividing walls. Do you remember this in chapter two? where there were these dividing walls that had existed. And, and even if you were to look, there was age, culture, ethnicity, political persuasion, education, how much they had or didn't have, their sexuality, their practices, their brokenness, all the way down to their socioeconomic status. All these existed then and don't they still exist now? And the danger was that there would become this us first them mentality within the family of God that would divide the church. And what Paul continues to say is that in Christ, he has completely flattened that dividing wall and has replaced it with this unity of the spirit where there's no us versus them anymore in the church. In the family of God, it is us. Now, the scriptures do use us versus them language. Please hear that. Like it's, it's actually, it's there, but it is not within the church, not within the family of God. Typically in the New Testament, when it begins to use us versus them language, it's either talking about demonic presences in our world that are seeking to destroy God's good purposes, or it's talking about false teachers and those who've actually apostasized, they've left the faith and are now trying to tear it down. But within the church in Ephesus, it's a we, it's a us. We've been made one. And as Paul unpacks this idea, his concept of unity was not necessarily that all these Christians would look and act and talk the same. Their unity was not built upon something, again, they can create. It was something that they had in Christ. That we were unified in Christ despite differences or personalities or perspectives or experiences. That unity is not uniformity. We're not all looking to act and look the same and, and wear the same clothes. No, actually, there's actually unity found in our diversity. 
that God brings people from all nations, tribes, tongues, different languages, different backgrounds, different experiences, different struggles, and he brings them together by his grace to make his church his body. And that the division in the church, it's always gonna breed atheism in the world because they're going to look within us and with this church of, at Ephesus and they're gonna be able to see, hey, yeah, they, they definitely don't look like they're Jesus. Do you remember Jesus' high priestly prayer, one of the most beautiful prayers he had? He said, I pray that they would be one, unified in complete harmony just as the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one, so the Trinity actually now operates as the foundation, as we just sang, for us to build our lives upon. But the greatest threat to Fellowship Mosaic is division. Paul continues, and he goes on to give them seven confessions of this unity. Notice, look at these seven different confessions, he says. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, and you were called to one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, Paul explains the source. He unpacks it more. So we are unified as a church, as a body. Christ is the head, and we are many members. And it is him that creates this unity. And look at the Trinitarian language that Paul uses here. One body and one spirit with one hope. He's talking about the church and dwelt by the spirit of God to to join into God's purposes in this life. One Lord, that is Jesus, who we receive by one faith and one baptism, that we enter into right relationship with one God, the Father who is sovereign and present and near in all things. And that is the, this unity in our walk that then it leads to our unity in our ministry. That the need to preserve our unity of the Spirit in our daily lives, Paul talks about the need for that. He now gives us the means, and guess what? The means are actually you. That you are the means in which God, this unity he's created, that he's also going to use to preserve it. And Paul does something really weird here. If you look in uh, the next verse in our ministry, he quotes Psalm 68, which is a royal psalm. It's a messianic psalm. But Paul does something really fascinating here, and many different scholars have a ton of different views on what Paul's doing with this. Because he changes up some of the language, and is he, he reading the text in light of Jesus and putting Jesus there? Or is he, as a rabbi, he is a different version than the one that we've recorded in like hours of lectures you could watch But here's the summary of what Paul is doing. He says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. To each one of us being followers of Jesus to the church, he has given you gifts, graces, spiritual gifts for the church. Now, there's this great obsession today with spiritual gifts, mostly and not as much in our circles, but some other church circles, where you, you really begin to try to like aspire to them and desire them and We need to understand tonight, anytime the scriptures talk about spiritual gifts, they are gifts to you, but they are not for you. God gives spiritual gifts. He gives these giftings to the saints, but it's not this gift for you to then take and use for yourself and your agenda. No, it's actually this gift he's given you to be used for the building up of the church. It's for the people sitting around you. It's for the kids at home. It's for the neighbors. It's for the the people in the workplace. 
And so Paul gives us this means to each of us, followers of Jesus, you have these gifts. And then he uses this psalm and he says, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he ascended. And this is where a lot of scholars start to get into debate. But in summary, what Paul is pointing to here, that descent is referring to Jesus's incarnation, that Jesus puts on flesh, fully God, fully man. And this enables him to have victory. Again, this psalm was a psalm of victory for a king back in Israel. And Paul takes it and says, we have the ultimate king who has had victory over the ultimate enemy, death, the devil. And in that victory, he now has the ascent, which in the psalm is referring to the king returning from battle and coming back to his throne. Paul uses that to refer to the resurrection, that Jesus has ascended conquering, and now as the conquering king, he can take the gifts of the spoils of war to give to his people. That the good news of Jesus gives us purpose in this life and its ministry. Look what Paul says next. So Christ gave for, or Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to do what? To build great stadiums and get a lot of people to come listen to their teachings and lectures? to build really, really awesome programs so that all these people can just come and consume, consume, consume. No, why did Paul give leaders within the church? What does it say? To equip. To equip his people, the church, for the works of service, that term there is ministry, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Friends, the term ministry simply means to serve. And I almost, and some of you who are ministers, servants of the gospel in the workplace, you understand what I'm saying here. Because sometimes we talk about ministry and what do we, what do we talk about? This stuff, right? Like the studying of the Bible and the coming alongside and the teaching and the worship. Hey, all that matters, but all that is supposed to do is actually to fuel the saints for what God has called them to in the world. See, as a follower of Jesus, you are a minister, You are a servant. Not only are you a servant in this room to the people who pass the plates and hold babies. We need it, well done, good and faithful, but God has so much more in store for you in your service than just holding babies. As a follower of Jesus, you are a gift to the church and to the world. So as servants following the king who tells us that he came not to be served but to serve, We follow his example, that as a Christian in this world, we're a servant, we're a minister. And my fear is that we've begun to focus so much on the pastors and the teachers and the evangelists, and we've actually taken something from the church that we need to rightfully give back to her. And that's not just at fellowship, that's across the West. And I fear that we've traded Christ-likeness for comfortable Christianity, where I can kind of just come get my weekly fix of church and then go about my life. I fear that we've made ministry something that's only for paid professionals with, with credentials and seminary degrees, and not for the mom at home with the kids making disciples in the house, not for the person on spreadsheets sitting right next to the person who's not of faith, not for the barista who sees people in and out daily, 
as a follower of Jesus who has an opportunity to serve. I wonder tonight, are you contributing to the spiritual health and maturity of the people next to you? Or are you just here to consume some worship and good teaching? Here at Fellowship, we call it producing and releasing spiritual leaders. So it's why I'm here, it's why this place exists, because we long for every person who comes into these doors to understand that Jesus has brought them to Northwest Arkansas for a specific purpose at a specific time. And it is to go out and love God and neighbors in our cities and our world. And that by coming here, uh, any marathon runners or runners in the room, I broke my back, so I'm slowly like easing back into it. I used to be like Will Blanchard who can run like the Grand Canyon and be like, I'm fine. Um, but one thing you need to know is, is in the marathon, your aid stations matter, don't they? Like you, you, especially when you start getting to ultra level, am I right, Chris? When we start getting up into like the ultra level marathon runners, you better pick your aid stations and use them well. Saturday night is an aid station for the church. Hey, if you're coming in and you are beat up in pornography or alcohol or the divorce is just like shooting you up, take a seat, let's change those socks, we're here. Or if you're coming in and you are just on fire for what God is doing in your life and in the world, come in, celebrate, and be fueled to keep on running. That this life, we, we actually need to understand that the church has been gifted with ministry. Pastors, we're here just to serve and equip you. But God wants to use you in very significant ways in our world. Check out what Henry Nouwen says. This will give you goosebumps. All followers of Jesus are called to ministry. That is the whole concept of the Christian church, that we are the body. Each one of us is a member with special gifts to share. And Jesus' mission on earth was to call a community together and empower them for the ministry of the world. I love this. Next, ministry is not something that requires professional credentials. It is a vocation each of us claims by virtue of our baptism in the body of Christ, amen? Ministry is the overflow of your love for God and others. That you, as a follower of Jesus, are a minister of the gospel, of the good news, a steward of it. Absolutely, in this congregation, we need you. We need to serve one another. We got some dishes in the house we need to do, and we need to hold babies, and we need to pass plates, and we need to help running services and audio and visual so that people can come and be served. Absolutely. But we clean the house, so what? Other people can come enjoy it. Other people can come join in what God's doing here. And as a servant, that, that your households, your relationships, your workplace, where you play and enjoy time in Northwest Arkansas, all of it an opportunity to be God's gift to the world, the church. And then Paul leads us into the unity of our growth. Our walk, we're to preserve this unity. The means, ministry. We serve one another and the world so that that unity can continue and this is the most painful one. It'd be nice if he just stopped there, but this is the one that really gets me. He says, how long we do this until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. One version says, all the way to full adulthood. Men and women in Christ 
who live and look like him, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of the people and deceitful scheming. I love, as Kristen led us earlier in that song, if you're building your faith on the I wills rather than on the solid foundation of Jesus, that, that is a windy, tossy experience. Uh, Bethany Donahue, Jimmy Donahue, and Scott Jones, and my wife and I just went to Los Angeles last week just to go surfing. We're not surfers, uh, but we're trying. And we got out there, and the riptide, I've never seen riptide that bad. You ever been in riptide before? I mean, it is a scary experience, isn't it? You can't quite find the ground and the wind is just blowing and you're like wave after wave after wave. Do you ever feel like the waves of the spiritual life are just drowning you? That you're hearing all these different narratives in our city and in our culture and your news feeds and on social media and watching and it's just, it's kind of causing this feeling within you that it begins to, separate. I'll never forget 2020 because of the damage it did to the church. Because there were so many opinions. There were so many political slogans. There were so many things. And we all isolated into our homes and we turned on one another. And the waves and the cunning and the wind of our era, like a baby getting blown back and forth, I walked it. See, for, for the Ephesians church, there were some pretty clear um, winds and waves of teaching that Paul's addressing. One, you had the Judaizers. You had these people who were there saying, hey, that's cool, you're with us now, Gentiles. Um, we need to circumcise you. And Paul would say, no, thank you. That's not what we're doing here. On the other side of it, you also have this, the pagan Roman occult saying, hey, that's awesome, you got Jesus as Lord. We also still need you to bow to Caesar as Lord. And Paul's saying, nope, we got one king and we will absolutely submit to the authority of the governing, those who God has placed in, in government over us, but we have one king and it's Jesus and we will not bow allegiance anywhere else. I wonder what the crafty, scheming, deceitful winds and waves are today. Leslie Newbegin, brilliant missiologist, he was a, a missionary in India, he's from England, served both world wars over in India, building up churches, making disciples. He came back in the 80s to England and he said that was when my next missionary journey began because the landscape of England had completely changed and not just England but the West. And he identified a couple of different gospels that were, were competing with the gospel of Jesus in his city. First, he saw this gospel of upward mobility, a good news that you could cling to and put at the center of your life that it's always up and to the right. So the good car, the good job, the good marriage, the white picket fence, it's always going up and to the right. As long as you keep on this track and path, you will have freedom, life, and liberty. But what happens when suffering enters? What happens when all these things up and to the right and all the, the, the character and moral failures, you, you've gained the world, but you've lost your soul? Next, Leslie talked about the gospel of self-help. Now, here's what we're not talking about. We're not talking about the gospel of getting help. 
We need doctors and we need counselors and we need medication to help us in the struggles of this life. What we don't need is to buy into the lie that you can buy as many books on Amazon, listen to hours of podcasts and fix yourself. You fallen into this one lately? I know I have. Where it's like, I have this issue, so let me look to all these kind of self-help books and podcasts. And again, it's not Jesus at the center of my faith. It's me. I'll quote Leslie on this one. He said, the sacralizing of politics, that is the making holy and sacred of politics, the total identification of a political agenda with the will of God will always unleash demonic powers in our world. If our primary identity is fill in the blank, rather than God's new humanity in Christ, historically for the church since about the third century, it does not go well when we trade our king and his kingdom for the kings and kingdoms of this world. There's a, a brilliant, brilliant historian and believer. His name's Larry Hurtado. He wrote a book called Destroyer of the Gods. Highly recommend. And his point was to the Roman pagan world, just like uh, we have with Ephesus, he, he takes the approach of let's look at what the political leaders, the philosophers, and the other religions were saying about the church. And the primary thing they were saying is these Christians are the destroyers of the gods. They claim there's one God and they worship him and they're destroying all our other ones. And what Larry says is there was, there was an ethic that exists. There was this way the Christians lived that was so different from the culture they were in that the Romans just didn't know what to do with it. One, these Christians had marriage and sexual fidelity unlike anything they had seen in the Roman world. One man, one woman, and marriage is union with God and that couple and to stay sexually faithful to that person you're married to. Two, sanctity of life in all its forms. From the unborn to women to the men to old and elderly, that every image bearer has dignity and value just because God has created them. In Ephesus, they actually had a practice um, where the Romans would take, uh, uh, take babies and leave them out on the mountainside and call, they called it exposing. If a father did not want this child, he would take it up the hill, leave it, and if it can make it back, if it could virtue, great. But until then, let the elements take it. And guess what the church in Ephesus did? They brought these kids in. They adopted them and they called them their own. Third, the, the church cared for the poor, the sick, the orphan, the widow, Fourth, they were multi-ethnic, every tribe, tongue, different religious backgrounds coming together in these living rooms and being changed. And fifth, we don't talk about this one, they were nonviolent. They practiced enemy love. That when they were persecuted, it seemed like the church flourished because they didn't retaliate. See, today in our culture, we, we cannot disagree on the what and why. We've talked about this with politics. We do not disagree with those five as followers of Jesus. What we can disagree is on the how and how to best practice. And that happens in community. Lastly, a do-it-yourself spirituality. Choose your own adventure faith. Kind of take Buddha, take Jesus, take whoever you want, and just kind of make your journey into the spiritual realm. Maturity, Paul says, 
is to put Christ at the center and to grow in three areas. One, correct beliefs, your orthodoxy. What you believe, this is the faith that Paul continues to talk about. One faith centered on Christ. Two is your orthopathy. That is your affections, your desires. And lastly, your praxy, how you live your life. And if we as followers of Jesus here do not give our time to learning the teachings and doctrines of Jesus, to having our affections changed by him and to living our lives daily like him, it will wreak havoc in the church as Paul continues. That instead of being tossed to and fro by the winds of false teaching, speak truth in love. This gets hijacked a lot, doesn't it? Because sometimes what we mean by this is kind of like the Southern way of saying, bless your heart. Like now I can say something mean about somebody. <laughs> like I'll bless their heart and then we, there's the jab. Paul is saying that the Greek here is truthing in love. They're actually inseparable because we worship a God who is truth and who is love. And so as Christians, we truth in love. We don't separate. And so sometimes I think we're like, I'm gonna speak truth and I'm gonna say something that, that absolutely is biblical truth to that person, but we say it with an agenda to prove ourselves as right and them as wrong and we put them down. It's not to build them up. And Paul would say, nope, that's not what we're doing here. Others of us were like, I just wanna be loving. And so we like care for the person and come alongside the person, but we never help them correct. So this is what followers of Jesus do and it actually ends up not being love at all. That we as the church in our maturity in Christ, we must practice truth and love. And lastly, um, really brilliant. One of my guys in my community group told me about this read a couple of years ago. And uh, they do a really good job just identifying spiritual growth and, and cycles and stages of how we grow in our faith. Um, Robert Gulich is the theologian and uh, the counselor is a, a woman my, named Janet Hagberg. Highly recommend the read. But what they did is they identified after hours of her clinical practice, as well as hours of his theology PhD program. And they brought together and they identified there's some stages that we walk through in the Christian life as we mature to be more like Jesus. Stage one is recognizing God, that God reveals himself and the journey begins. That this is that stage in your life when, when you just, you understand the gospel for the first time and you receive, I am a sinner and you are a savior, Amen. Next, stage two, is the learning life. We begin to learn and grow in the scriptures and theology and we identify as a student, a learner. Next is the productive life, uh, learning our gifts, our skills, and we use them for the glory of God and activity in the church and the world. This is someone who sees himself as a laborer for God. And then they identified this thing called the wall. And what they found is a lot of Christians stop at stage three because stage four is very painful. Because you can't go over it, you can't go under it, you gotta go through it, and it's a crisis, or it's brokenness, it's exhaustion, it's looking at the things within and going, okay, I know this up here, but I don't quite believe it down here, and I got some doubts. And what they found is, as people begin to walk with God through that painful experience, they begin to see themselves differently in the inward journey where they shift from doing things for God to just being with him. And they have this life of, it's a little more delight and less duty. 
And then from there, as God's beloved, they begin to see the world differently in stage five. They have a renewed calling. It gives a clear, accurate view of God and the world themselves, and they see themselves as a servant, that God has called me to serve others. And then lastly, the very few rare people make it to the life of love, reflecting God's love, a deep, vibrant love and walk with God and others. Whimsical, full of joy, not childish, but childlike. I have a few people I'd love to, to be like one day in that stage six. One of them taught last week, Gary Oliver. I just, I look at him and I'm like, that's a guy who has a deep, vibrant love and walk with God and others. Travis Jenkins, I don't know if you know Travis Jenkins, our brother here on Saturdays. He just has this whimsical, even like, even losing his wife and walking through grief, he sees an opportunity to love others. And regardless of what stage you find yourself in tonight, the beauty is God is at the center of it. And you matter and you have value. And we're dependent on one another in each of those stages. So to close, as the band comes back out, two, two practices for us. Paul calls us to be a church that's united in Christ and maturing in Christ. One, it's hard to be united if you're alone. So if you're doing the solo Christianity thing, kind of just me and my Bible with Jesus and I don't really have deep relationships or connection with other followers, it's time to practice community. To get into a group with people where you can be challenged, encouraged, exposed, and equipped day in and day out. Secondly is the practice of confession. And I love this definition. Confession is simply agreeing with God. And oftentimes we hear it and we think about agreeing with God about the wrong things I've done. And that's true. That's a part of it. But confession is also agreeing with God about who he is and what he's done. And for centuries, the church has had a confession that they have used together to remind themselves and to agree with God on this is who God is. And this is what God does. And it was first done in 325 AD at the church with the saints of Nicaea. What I'd love for you to do tonight is stand with me. And we're gonna practice some confession, agreeing with God. And I'd love it if as you read this, you would not just read it as truth for yourself, for your orthodoxy, but truth also for the person next to you and theirs. Would you read with me? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God and light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. 
And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to the life and the world to come. Amen. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand.
God, we love you. We thank you for what it means to look like in a body of Christ together, unified as the people of God. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you for this people, God. Help us to see each other, look each other in the eyes as we leave this place, knowing that we are on each other's side, Father, and that we are for one another because of you, because of the blood that you've shed to cover our sins, God. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Church, what a great week of worship. If you need prayer, we'll have our prayer team around uh, front. We'd love to meet with you. If you have any questions, we'll have our staff out in the info booth in the foyer. Let's go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And people said...